everybody. It's good to see you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the summit, and uh, so glad you could be with us. Happy Memorial Day uh, weekend, and uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts called Movement, where we're seeing how Christianity grew from being a small, marginalized sect to the world's most prominent, influential uh, religion. We said the only way to describe that is as being a movement. And uh, what we've seen over the past few weeks is Jesus has defined this movement. The Holy Spirit has fallen, and he has empowered this movement. Last week, we saw uh, that 3,000 people joined the movement. And uh, tonight, we're going to ask the question of, of what happens next? What happens when you get momentum, uh, things are going well, uh, uh, what when you can do anything next, what, what is it that you're going to do? And what's going to be really interesting is this early movement is going to start a church. That's what they're going to do next. They're going to start a church. They're going to start a community uh, because they uh, understand the primacy of community as they advance this mission to the ends of the earth. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about the movement's community, the movement's community. And uh, we talk about community a lot here at the summit. It's one of our three core values of gospel, community, and mission. And uh, anytime we talk about community or study community, uh, we have to first acknowledge the great uh, dilemma that arises with community uh, for, for anybody who's living uh, today. And I, I was reading this article last week that I thought uh, beautifully illustrated this. Uh, when I was, I was reading this article about this uh, organization, this nonprofit called Love Your Neighbor, uh, that was the brainchild of a guy named Arnold Abbott. He lives in this uh, small South Florida town, and uh, he started Love Your Neighbor basically to foster community development in the town in which he lived. He saw a tremendous need. He started it. Uh, it really began to take off. The dream uh, became a reality. It was gaining influence and momentum. And, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gets a, uh, a letter from this lady in Michigan who had founded an organization to do the exact same thing called Love Thy Neighbor. Uh, so he gets the letter and he thinks to himself, you know, this is great. Like we, we exist to foster community. You exist to foster community. Uh, this is going to go really well. You know, you're probably sending me an article or a, a letter asking for suggestions or uh, encouraging me in what I'm doing. And so he opens the envelope, he pulls out the letter and he finds that he was actually going to be sued. He was being sued for trademark infringement uh, because he was using a name that was so similar. And so uh, if it wasn't so sad, you have this fairly humorous image of two organizations both existing to foster and create community, uh, both called something like Love Your Neighbor, now suing their neighbor in order to profit exorbitantly off their neighbor. Now, um, when I first heard this article, uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, how could anybody be so hypocritical? Right? I mean, how could, on the surface, any organization have a mission statement say, we exist to foster and create community, and then demonstrate such dysfunctional behavior in reality? I mean, how can anybody on the surface say, I want community that badly, and then beneath the surface demonstrate such dysfunctional, alienating, isolating behavior. And I was starting to feel a little bit uh, self-righteous about this, and, you know, how could anybody ever do this? And then I recognized, this is the dilemma. Right? This is the dilemma that anybody who says they want community wants, which, which is all of us, we all experience this, where on the surface we say, I want friendships, I value family, I desire community. On the surface, we would all say that. But then when you get to see how we function in reality in the course of our everyday lives, we all demonstrate some fairly dysfunctional, alienating, isolating behaviors that makes us hard to realize the one thing we say we want so bad. I mean, have you experienced this? Probably for many of you... Uh, the, the ebb and flow of your daily life is shaped and influenced by your desire for community, right? So uh, this can influence what job you have, if you leave a job or not, what city you live in, who you live with. 
All of that can be influenced by the desire for community. This can influence your budget. I mean, for many of you, here's my observation in a very young church where many of you are single and you're getting your first job and you're trying to make ends meet, is a lot of you invest a significant portion of your income in a smartphone. Am I right? Like, you are struggling to make ends meet whatsoever, but you spent $200 to get an iPhone. You signed a two-year contract with that. We were spending over $100 a month for that data plan. And if I sat you down, I was like, can you help me understand the economics of this? You'd say, well, I just like being connected. I like knowing what's going on with my friends, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I just like knowing what's going on in the community that I have. I mean, for me, this has influenced a, a, a detail of my life as small as what gym I go to. Uh, I, I CrossFit down at Lodo and one of the major reasons I do that is because of the aspect of community. Before uh, I did CrossFit, I would just go to a big gym. Uh, I wouldn't know anybody. I'd pop in the earbuds. I would do some curls. I would get on the elliptical. And about 15 minutes later, I'd be like, looks like my work here is done. And I would go home. But CrossFit, you, you do every single workout together. And there's nothing that bonds you together like suffering in an incredible fashion together uh, a couple times uh, a week. So, so our desire for community shapes and influences uh, our big decisions, our small decisions, but, but like we said, uh, even though we desire that so much, there, there's this dilemma where, in, in reality, we really demonstrate some, some alienating behaviors that makes us hard to realize that community, right? So, so many of you, you invest a significant portion of money into a smartphone. You're not sure if you'll be able to buy groceries this month, but you do know you'll have an iPhone. Uh, but it's that same iPhone that prevents you from ever being able to have a thoughtful, consistent, uninterrupted uh, conversation with anybody else, right? And, and maybe, this isn't, maybe this is not you. Maybe you know somebody else who's like this, but, but you know somebody who, who bought an iPhone. They said, you know, it's for fostering community, but they've got it glued to their hand. It's consistently interrupting conversations. You can't even have a meal uh, without being interrupted, right? You've experienced this where you'll go out to lunch and you're, you know, you're, you're talking about your deepest, darkest secrets. You're unfolding who you are to this person. Community is being fostered and developed. But this person, this person who always has their iPhone with them, felt like it's necessary to put the phone face up on the corner of the table, Right, like as though they're going to receive an emergency notification from Instagram. Like somebody liked the picture of the pizza you had last night. You need to know immediately. So it's on the corner of the of the table. It, it it could interrupt you at any point, and pretty soon you're in the middle of this conversation. It's getting deep. You're unfolding deep dark secrets and mysteries about yourself, and all of a sudden the screen lights up, right? And you're still talking, and all of a sudden your friend, their eyes shift, and they're like, uh huh, uh huh. Uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then their hand slowly reaches up to the table. And then it pulls it down underneath the table. And then they try to do this thing where they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like there's some sort of texting ninja. It's like, I, I can tell uh, that you're not paying attention to me whatsoever. I stopped talking. You hadn't even noticed yet. Uh, so here's the deal. Is, I'm sure this isn't any of you. I'm sure this is only people you know. Uh, but you all know somebody who invests a significant portion of their income in, in a technological advancement that in, interrupts them from uh, obtaining the community that they so strongly say they desire to obtain. Others of us, we say that a significant portion of our lives are geared towards obtaining these sorts of friendships and relationships. But if we're just honest, it's been a long time in our lives before we've experienced anything like that. And so if you examine your life, it hasn't been 
you know, it's been since I was growing up, it's been since you were in college, that you've really had people you think of as your friends, and there's some issues there. I mean, am I right? Like, if you invested a significant portion of your income and your time and your emotions into losing weight, but you were 400 pounds overweight, I mean, you would say there's a problem there, but, but with us, none of us want to say we struggle to make friends, and even though we haven't, I mean, some of us haven't made friends in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. The only people we keep up with is people who lived all the way across the country that we grew up with, and we don't even really know that. We just catch up about what we did back in high school and in college. Nothing new has happened. We're not even knowing one another. We would say there is a significant problem there, right? And that's the dilemma, that on one hand, significant portions of our lives are geared towards obtaining community. And yet, if we're honest beneath the surface, I mean, the vast majority of us are pretty dysfunctional, isolating, and alienating when it comes to actually obtaining community. But I'm not saying that's all of us. Some of you are very good at this, but, but very few of you are really good at this. And, and for myself and for the vast majority of us, we desperately need the Bible to speak to help us understand, I mean, how do we develop community in the midst of a movement? And so tonight's text in Acts 2, 42 through 47 is really that answer. What you're going to see is not only an affirmation of the community you so desperately desire that you were created to meaningfully give yourself to a community called the church, but also a definition, an explanation, a glimpse into what that community is meant to look like, what, what the community you long for is supposed to be built upon. And so look with me at the passage we just read and starting in verse 42. And what you're going to see is this movement's community was built on three pillars in particular, okay? Just three simple values. They should sound fairly familiar to you. This passage shaped uh, the mission and the values of our church. What we first see is this community, they shaped themselves on the gospel, okay? They shaped themselves on the gospel. And look with me at verses uh, 42 and 43, It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, what I want to point your attention to is verse 42, the very first thing that Luke says, because whatever he says first is of most importance. And in verse 42, here's what he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching. Now, uh, an apostle was just somebody who was sent. That's what the word literally means in the Greek. It just means somebody who was sent. And, and if you've read uh, the Gospels, the, the accounts of the life and the work of Jesus, uh, what you see is that Jesus dedicated a significant portion of his life uh, training and instructing and raising up and ultimately sending out uh, a sl- few select individuals who were his apostles. They were his sent ones to carry his message. And so it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, it's not that difficult to understand what is these guys teaching because we just saw that. Last week, we saw one of the apostles, Peter, give a a thorough explanation of the heart of his teaching. And at the heart of his teaching was the gospel. We saw that throughout that passage, the gospel. The gospel just means good news, and it's the belief that even though we have rejected God through our sin, God has chosen not to reject us, and he pursues us. And the way he pursues us is not just by giving us a bunch of religious rules or principles to live by. He sends his son as a substitute. 
He sends his son as a substitute, and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, he lived as we should have lived so that we might be righteous in the eyes of God. He dies as we should have died so that we might be forgiven in the eyes of God, and he resurrects in our place victorious over death and Satan and sin and hell so that we might be victorious. Jesus comes, and he serves as a substitute. And so what Luke is saying here is when this community was devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were a community shaped by, founded upon, devoted to, radically committed to understanding the gospel and how it applies to every area of their lives. Here's what you practically just have to see is that when God does this tremendous work in this city, when he turns this city upside down, when he ignites this movement, when thousands of people, peoples of lives are impacted, which, what you have, the fruit of that, is not just a community for the sake of community. This is important because a lot of people are just looking for community for the sake of community. I'm just looking for somebody to play kickball with and hike with and have people that my kids can hang out with, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't just community for the sake of community. It was community shaped and founded on the gospel. It was a community of men and women radically un, uh, devoted to understanding what they believed and why they believed it. Now, I say all that because I think it addresses a, a felt need that I, I see a lot of times in the life of our church. Um, my observation is a lot of times what happens is people are attracted to the summit, our church, because of the community. And so uh, they go other places and it's hard to meet people. They come here and people are very welcoming. They're very inviting. They start hanging out with people. They like the idea of belonging. They like the idea of getting connected and they'll even go so far as to go through the membership process, and they'll, you know, we'll, we'll sit down for a membership uh, interview, and, and as we're talking, I, I make this point, I just say, you know, so you understand, we're not just a community for the sake of a community, we're a community founded on a person and his work of the gospel. And I'll tell you, we have had a number of conversations where when we say that, people bristle at that, they push back at that, they're, they're, they're kind of turned off by that idea, and we'll even be criticized by that. I'll just... just just say that. Sometimes people will just criticize us and say, you know what? That's closed-minded. That's exclusive. That's intolerant. We experience that so much. I just want to speak to that uh, uh, for a second because I think that's so important from what you see from this community. First, before I even deal with that, because we hold firmly held beliefs doesn't make us intolerant. You understand the importance of that? Like the definition of tolerance has changed as radically as like the definition of spam over the last 30 years, right? So like, if you said I got spam 30 years ago, everybody would think like you were eating a canned meat that takes seven years off your life if you choose to eat it, right? Um, and now, if you say I got spam, what do you think? You're like, oh, like some Nigerian princess emailed you offering to ship you diamonds if you'll just supply your social security number and your home address, right? Like that's what you think of spam. The definition has radically changed, and the definition of tolerance has radically changed as well, where what it used to mean, what, what it really means is it's okay to have firmly held beliefs about something, even something as controversial as religion and spirituality. What makes you tolerant isn't that you don't have any beliefs, it's that you respect other people's right to believe. It's that you say, like, I'm not going to kill you for disbelieving. We're, we're, we're cool with that. Today, what it basically means is you can't have a firm belief about anything, especially religion or spirituality. The only firm belief you can have is that it's not okay to have firm beliefs about anything, uh, which is a little bit uh, contradictory. Uh, Am I right? So So here's the deal. 
is the reason that we are so serious about not just being a community about a community, but a community founded upon a person isn't because we're exclusive or we're closed-minded or we're intolerant, but it's because, one, the Bible clearly communicates it, as well as logic necessitates it. Your open-mindedness is only helpful up to a point. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, he said, the point of an open mind is the same point of an open mouth. It's meant to shut down on something solid. And for many of you, you don't understand that you weren't created just to be open-minded because you're neglecting the very reason God gave you your mind in the first place. You were not meant to wander through a desert of disbelief as some sort of spiritual gypsy. You were meant to arrive at a destination, and we believe that destination is a person, the man and Lord Jesus Christ who through the claims he made and through the life he lived and through the historical evidence that justifies our belief and and all of those things, we can say he is the one we are meant to shut down upon. He is the solid one upon whom we can say we will believe in him, we will follow him, we will build our lives upon him, we will build our community upon him and nothing else and no one else. It's not because we're intolerant. It's not because we're closed-minded. It's because we believe that is where the truth leads us. And we want to be a community that is serious about taking the truth seriously. So they devoted themselves to the gospel for that first reason. And then if you see, not only were they devoted to the gospel, but they were also devoted to community. They they were a community that was serious about uh, community. And what we see here, we're going to see this in verses 44 uh, through 46, what you're going to see is three uh, qualities demonstrated in the people that help them obtain this community, right? We said that for all of us, we say we want community, we find it very difficult to obtain, we, we demonstrate very dysfunctional behaviors, and this community demonstrates three qualities in particular in their pursuit of community that showed them how this scene was even possible. Now, now here's what we'll see. First, they weren't fractured, but they were unified. Okay? They weren't fractured, but they were unified. And look in uh, verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, uh, most organizations, communities, businesses, churches are, are filled with fractures. Filled with fractures and not unifiers. People, people coming in and they're criticizing the way things are done. They're criticizing the leadership. They're crazy the bo- criticizing the boss. They're looking for somebody to mess up. And because they're always looking for it, they always find it. We see this all the time. People coming into the church and, and all of a sudden, as soon as things get difficult for them, they just disappear into thin air. Even when God is really beginning to press in on them and do his greatest work. I see this all the time outside the church as well. I remember when I was first starting at CrossFit, um, I really love my gym, and this really ticked me off. I remember when I was first starting, and there was this guy I started to become friends with, and um, all of a sudden he told me, oh, this is my last time here. I said, oh, why is this your last time here? He's like, well, I hate the style of pull-ups we do here. 
I was like, really? Like, tell me about that. He's like, well, I think we need to do more strict and less kipping. And you don't have to know a whole lot about CrossFit to know that's not that big of a deal. And I was just like, man, that, like, that sounds like a you problem. You know, it sounds like you were looking for something to be upset by, and you found it because you were looking at it. And so many people are like this. They come in, and they fracture, and they disappear, and they splinter, and they leave as soon as they see something they don't like. They leave as soon as something gets difficult for them. But this community, they unify. They didn't fracture. They were unified. They, they believed we were together and they had all things in common. And it's not because they weren't selfish people. It's not because they weren't having all their preferences and desires met. It's because they were a community founded upon a person. Because that person wasn't them, but Jesus. They could have the most important thing in common and exist in beautiful unity and harmony. Not only were they not fractured but unified, they also weren't takers but givers. Look at, look at verse 45. They weren't takers but givers. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all uh, as any had need. Now, again, for all of us, instinctually when we walk into a room, we, we tend to come in to get rather than to give. Right? We, we, we tend to come in and say, how can I have my needs met? How can people greet me? How can people hear about my life? How can hear people hear my stories? How can people hear about my problems? How can people fix my problems? But, there, but there's not a whole lot going through our heads of like, how can I walk into this room and serve? I'm not just saying in the church. I'm just saying anywhere we are. How can I walk in this room and serve? And what I love about this community is, is how much did they love each other? How much did they give? They sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as people had need. So like when, when, when a tangible need uh, rose in somebody's life, they weren't like, man, good luck with that. Man, we'll be praying for you. It's like, no, I have this thing and I can sell it. You know, they didn't have eBay back then, but you know, they sold it and all of a sudden they took the proceeds from that and they gave the money away. They gave the money away. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? And, and here's the deal is probably, I, I've taught this passage a lot. And verse 45 is probably the most bizarre uh, of all these verses in here. But I'll tell you, in, in the summit story, we've only existed for a little over two years now. Uh, in the Summit story, th- this is probably the one quality I've seen as, as much as I've seen anything else. Uh, I've seen in the life of our church people who give rather than take. And so I've seen people uh, who have let friends live with them for free for extended periods of time just because they don't have money to, to pay rent. They, they just don't. Uh, I've seen friends loan their cars to, to, to friends who don't have a car for months, even, even years on end. Because, I mean, the person can't afford a car and they can't get to work. And because they can't get to work, they can't get a job and they can't build up a savings account in order to buy their own car. So they, get, so, so they, just, they just, here's my car. You can have it for as long as you want. I've seen people just give cash away. I, I've seen people give money to help pay for groceries, help pay for rent, help pay medical expenses that people can't pay. It's going to happen again and again and again and again. And you may say, well, like, why don't we hear all these stories about this? Well, it's like, because we don't want to bring people on stage and embarrass them. Like, hey, meet so-and-so. They're a member and they can't pay their rent, but so-and-so paid their rent for them. Isn't that wonderful? What a charity case. Everybody put their hands together. for the big... No, of course not. But it is happening all the time. Tremendous generosity where verse 45 here is tangibly coming alive. So not just fractured but unified, not just takers but givers. Verse 3, or, or, or n- number 3, they weren't flaky but committed, Okay? When I said committed, some of you even shivered as I said that uh, word. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times people debate exactly, you know, 
Uh, is Luke saying that the church has to have programs where they meet every single day? I don't think that's what he's doing whatsoever. He's not prescribing a program here. He's instead, he's portraying, he's giving a glimpse into how these people prioritize one another. These people practically architected, structured their lives so they can regularly be together. It's a we're one another's responsibility and we're one another's uh, priority uh, as, as well. And so I'll just say, um, this is so countercultural because, I mean, again, this probably isn't you, but this is probably somebody you know, right? Like, just flaky. I mean, just so flaky. Like, you know how hard it is even to get somebody to hang out with you, right? Hey, like, what are you doing next Wednesday? Can we hang out? And it's like, uh, I'm not sure exactly what I've got going on on Wednesday. Why don't you give me your number, and I'll text you at some point on Wednesday to let you know if I can make it or not. It's like, man, if you don't want to hang out, you can just say it. Like, if you're trying to see the 16 other offers you get before Wednesday to see if I'm the best one, I mean, just tell me that. That's fine. If you want to hang out with a girl instead, that's completely fine. But just just come right out and say it. But that's the way it's hard, not just to get somebody to commit to programming their life around being with their church family. I mean, it's hard just to get somebody to hang out with you. And again, I'm sure that's not you. I'm sure that's somebody else. I'm sure you're not the one sending the text five minutes after you're supposed to show up somewhere. Hey, we're not going to make it. Sorry. I'm sure that's not you, somebody else. But just challenge you with this example. They, They weren't flaky. They were committed. Now, what I want this to be for you is not just an example, but a challenge. Not just an example, but a challenge. What I, what, I, what I would challenge you with is maybe to look at those three qualities of this community had and ask yourself, I mean, is, where, where do I fall? Kind of what, what, what side of the fence do I fall on? And I'll tell you, it may be even so difficult for you to answer that question for yourself. You may need to ask somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Okay, so let me just ask you. If you asked a friend, would they describe you as somebody who fractures or unifies? How would they describe you? Would they say you're somebody who fractures or unifies? Are you somebody who comes in always critiquing, always finding something wrong, always getting your feelings hurt, always backbiting, always saying, I know a better way to do it? Or are you the person who unifies? Are you the person who just unifies and builds up and says, hey, I just want you to know, like, we really appreciate you. You're doing a really good job. Hey, thanks for opening up your home every other week so our city group can meet in this home. Hey, thanks for leading worship every week. Thanks for doing it. You do a really great job. I'm not going to get upset by exactly what song. I just want to say thank you. I just wanted to say thank you for doing it. Are you you the type of person that fractures and splinters or unifies and builds up? Second question I would ask you, uh, is you somebody who would, you know, would you be described as a taker or a giver? Just ask somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Do you you come into this community to take or to give? Are you coming in and saying, what can I get uh, or what can I give? How, How can I put my my needs down and count others more important than myself. But third, I would just ask somebody, say, uh, am I somebody who is flaky or committed? Just, just tell me, like, when I tell you we're going to hang out, do you really believe we're going to hang out, or are you anticipating a text last minute saying, hey, man, something came up. I'm sorry I can't be there. I mean, am, am I a man or woman of my word that says when I'll be there, I'll be there? Am I a man or woman who says my life is dependable and it's devoted to the things it's supposed to be dependent on? Can I be counted upon by the people who love me and care about me the most? And I'll tell you, my guess is as you ask somebody that question, um, they're probably are not going to say you're knocking it out of the park in each one of those areas. In fact, I... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that like, I don't think any of us were raised to do this well. I don't think this naturally comes to any of us. 
I mean, as I was in my own life, I was like, I'm not very good at this. But, it, but here's the encouragement is you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel bad about yourself. You don't need to, uh, I, you just need to go a couple weeks ago and understand that the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, he dwells within you and he is conforming you increasingly into the image of Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate example of the man who does community well. I mean, the man who unifies to the point that he says, I will lay down my preferences to the point that I'll even lay down my preference of living, right? I'll lay down even my preference of living for the building up of the church. The man who looks at a community and says, I will give, not take, and I, and I will give to the point that I will die on a cross for the sins of the world. A man who looks and says, he's not flaky, he's committed. God gives him a mission, and he is faithful to carry it out to the very end. I mean, one of the most incredible images of his ministry is at the very end of his life, at the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's about to be crucified, knowing that he could run away, right? I mean, he could have justified it with all sorts of, you know, I've been praying about it, and I feel like, Jesus, like God, this is just not your will for my life. And what does he say? What does he say as he's sweating drops of blood? God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not saying we should be perfect at this. I'm not saying this is a checklist. We just say, yep, 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 I've got it. But I'm saying that as you understand your shortcomings and as you maybe have somebody in your life who loves you enough just to say, like, if I'm just honest, like, you're hard to get with. You're just hard to hang out with. You're hard to be... Don't despair, but look to Jesus and understand that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he is conforming you increasingly into his image in this area of your life. Now, not only were they shaped by the gospel, not only by community, but also by the mission. And look at verse 47 as this passage ties up and concludes. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this because it shows how hard this type of community is, right? If you're anything like me, your preference is for a community to stay small. Am I right? To stay small, you can know everyone. You can, you know, nobody new is coming into your small group, so you can have this rapport where you can share exactly what you want to share all the time. You know, I mean, new people a lot of times can be an interruption to the type of community you want. Am I right? Let's just be honest. No offense, new people. We love you. We're glad you're here. And you know what this community understood? They understood the nature of true sacrifice. And you know what the nature of true sacrifice is? The nature of true sacrifice is giving up that which you love in exchange for that which you love even more. You know what I love? I love the idea of being in a community, a church community that fits in my house with about a dozen people where I know everybody and we can, you know, we have that jokes. We don't have to do all sorts of first impression stuff. I mean, it's completely easy. You just show up. It's low key. It's not that big of a deal. There's no pressure to be mindful of the new person. I mean, selfishly, I love that. But you know what I love even more? You know what these people loved even more? The thought of a movement turning upside down, people's lives turning upside down, a city turning upside down, a nation turning upside down, the ends of the earth. The nature of true sacrifice is giving up what you love in exchange of what you love even more. And before these people loved just getting to know a few people well, they loved the thought of thousands upon thousands of people's lives being changed. It's why we love you. 
if you're new and you're not an interruption, you're not an inconvenience, if this is your first time, we exist for you. And we love you and we care about you and we welcome you to every area of our lives. What I want you to see is that it's daily as people's lives are being changed and as this city was being turned upside down, transformed people, living transformed lives, changing their city, that the fruit was this belief that the church, this community of men and women following Jesus could change somebody's life, could change a city, could change a region, could change the world. Let me, let me just ask you, do you even believe that? You believe the church has that type of power to do that type of change in this city as well? I'll tell you, I, I really struggle to believe that. And I, I remember distinctly when that belief changed. I, I've told this story before, but um, when I was in college, I took, I, I majored in history. I think, you know, probably all of you know that. And um, I took a upper level early European history class. And uh, anytime you're studying early European history, uh, you have to talk a lot about religion and Christianity and the church and all sort of stuff. And uh, my professor was crazy smart, Ivy League educated, very well known, uh, well published, and unbelievably skeptical of the Christian faith. And so uh, basically every class went like this. Um, She would teach about something related to Christianity, and then she would make a bunch of jokes and mock it to say like why that wasn't really legitimate or real. So so for example, uh, a king would convert to Christianity and she would make some sort of sarcastic remark about how it was just him obtaining power. Uh, A a monastery would be built, and it was just a sarcastic remark about trying to uh, exploit a certain group of people in this region of the world. And I'll never forget, um, one day later in the semester, we came to the point where we were discussing the Acts 2 church, and and really the legacy of the Acts 2 church that we're studying right now, and uh, how it influenced early European history. And she lectured for an extended period of time about this community and the way they loved one another and the way they cared for one another. Uh, Even the fact that several hundred years later, their legacy was that as the plague swept throughout Europe, the church stayed in the cities in which they were in, and they cared for the people who were dying. Their families deserted them. The church took care of them. Many people died. The impact was so profound that even the pagan politicians of the time were writing letters back to one another, trying to explain why these Christians are being so loving, so sacrificial, so substitutionary in their lifestyle. I'll never forget this brilliant teacher takes a breath to pause in the midst of this lecture and a guy shoots up his hand in the back right-hand corner of the class and he says, how do you explain this? You know, because, I mean, all semester, I know what was going through his head, like all semester everything's been explained away with a sarcastic remark or a joke and she said in an instant, I really have no idea. You know what I learned in that moment? That, that a church, that a community of men and women on mission, a gospel-centered community, a city-minded community can change a city, can change a region, can change a world, can leave a legacy so profound that even the most skeptical scholar 2,000 years removed is left speechless in their wake. How do you explain this? It's a glimpse of the transformed people living transformed lives, turning their city upside down for the glory of God. It's what happens when a community of people come together, men and women, children and old people, live such Christ-centered lives that they show the world a whole new way of being human. They give a glimpse 
to the city around them a window into the goodness of what life looks like when Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I'll tell you, that's such an enticing idea. It feels overwhelming. It feels like we're not up to it. It feels like I'm not sure how I'll leave a legacy like that. But don't you see? I mean, everything in verses 42 through 47 is obtainable through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just normal people doing normal life with gospel intentionality. And you can do this. I just want to say this to you. You can do this. And so here's the deal, is that when you come in and you do life in such a way that you want to give rather than take, and you're just looking wherever you go of people to reach out to and impact, I mean, that is counter-cultural. If you're at the gym or if you're at work or if you're in a mommy hangout club, it doesn't matter to go into a room like that and say, how can I invite you? How can I hear about you? How can you tell me about you? That can change a life. Let me tell you, when you handle your relationships differently and and put on display the transformed life, that can impact people. If you're single and you're a dude and you actually respect women and you're not just trying to sleep around as much as possible, you're not just trying to exploit as much as possible, but you're doing this crazy countercultural thing called monogamy. I mean, it's just it's mind-blowing. Some of you are experiencing this right now. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? But most of you who are in the real world, you're like, yes, I know. And as the light shines in the darkness, people take notice, and they are impacted and changed. Husbands, as you love and are excited about leading and serving your wives, as all of your coworkers see their wife as nothing more than a drag on the life they always wanted. Wives, you who respect and build up your husbands rather than tearing them down and nitpicking and criticizing even though that's what your instincts and all your friends and your family have taught you to do. The light shines in the darkness and people can't help but take notice. As you handle your money differently, you know, most people, they use, their, they use people to get money But the Christ-centered way is trying to figure out how can I use money to bless people. And as you do that and if you have a, a, a loose grip on your stuff and as you give stuff away to impact and, and to take care of people in the midst of their most tangible, felt needs. I'm telling you, light is being unleashed in the darkness and people can't help but be attracted to it. Normal people loving their city, doing normal life with gospel intentionality. It's how a movement is ignited and sustains. I'm telling you, that. I really believe that as the Summit Church has gone from being a small Bible study in my living room to what we experience now and as where we will be years from now, it's us understanding community and trying to do it well that has really been the heart of our growth. Men and women building their lives upon understanding the gospel upon loving one another well in community and saying the community does not exist for itself, but the good and joy of those outside of it in this city that we love so much. And we will continue to prioritize and to build ourselves upon those pillars until one of us dies who's leading this thing or until Jesus returns. The gospel, community, and mission, the gospel is unleashed on the city. It creates a community, a new family of Christ followers, and that family of Christ followers exists not for itself, but the good and the joy of those outside of it. Let's pray and let's ask that God makes that our legacy and our vision, our value to the very end.
God, we thank you so much that you so clearly acknowledge and love our desire for community. You've created us in your image, the triune God, three in one, and the reason that we have desired community is because you have created us for community. And so, God, I pray that you would help us have serious self-awareness to observe whether or not we are actually just saying that, but underneath the surface, demonstrating such alienating, dysfunctional behaviors. And so, God, I pray that as we see where we sin and we fall short and we just make it even difficult for people around us to get to know us, um, that rather than us retreating into self-righteousness and being alone and saying, I tried and forget this and it's not my fault, to just ask ourselves, am I modeling the type of community that Christ demonstrated? And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would increasingly transform us into Jesus' image to help us be men and women who give rather than take, that unify rather than fracture, that commit deeply rather than just disappear and flake out. God, you have the ability to do that. You are doing that. That is the story of the Summit Church, and we praise you for it. Please continue to do so. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.